Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, rotor operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long term, not just survive. The overall general mission is to create a affordable stay, affordable accommodation in expensive environments, what means urban environments. I had the experience that when I traveled this time with my friend, we traveled around the world, we always choose the most dangerous areas at the best price. And so my decision here was, let's create a safe, in a safe and in a good environment. Yeah, let's create a safe, but always affordable offer. That was really, and it's still number one of what drives us, yeah? So it has to be affordable, and our aim is, for example, not to upgrade our product to more luxury, etc. that it becomes maybe unaffordable for some customers. This is Oliver Winter, founder and CEO of Europe's largest independent hostel chain, ANO. Today we'll hear from Oliver how they have developed the business over the years and how they used the pandemic as a burning platform to optimize the business. He also shares their ambitious plan to go net zero by 2025 and there's some great specific initiatives and breakdowns of these and how you can get started implementing things to get to net zero. He also shares to achieve that, they really involve their employees in helping coming up with better solutions and ideas for going net zero. We also discuss how they have scaled the business and maintained consistency within the employee and guest experience while adapting to different European cultures. He also shares how he stays at his A-game as a founder and CEO and how he has kept reinventing himself over the years. If you liked today's episode, it will mean the world to me if you could leave a review of the show on either our website, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guests and ultimately the better the learning is for you. This conversation will help you to get a better grip on your strategy as well as execution of achieving net zero at scale. Enjoy. Today we'll travel across the waters into Germany and we'll speak with Oliver because Oliver connected with me some time ago and he's the CEO and a founder of a business that really have used the pandemic as many did to create this burning platform for change and think differently about the business. We'll probably revisit some of the things they did during the pandemic and like what they've learned and what they've adapted into the new era of travel slash hospitality. And we also will talk about sustainability and and travel and actually what's what are the trends that's happening there. And I just said to Oliver before we started this that is this is probably the first year when I talk with other people when we talk about you always have that conversation about where you're going on holiday, how you're traveling, where you go, where people are actually thinking about the impact that travel has on the planet. So with that said, welcome to the show, Oliver. Really looking forward to, to have this conversation. Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks for having me here. And Oliver, for people out there, just to get a bit of context, it would be great to hear your story. You're a founder of a business, so there was some kind of problem you wanted to solve at some point, but also how you got to that and what's happened since you, you started solving that problem. Yeah, see, when I was very young, so 18, 18, 19, I had this time slot between finishing my alternative military service and before I started to study, to my origin plan was to become a teacher. And I used this time that was six, seven months to travel around the world. And during my travels in especially Australia and New Zealand, I met this idea of hostels. I didn't know before what a hostel is. And that was for me, there was this, this, always this point to, to get easy contact and touch with other travelers to even to use it, to, to have a warm shower, to have a warm bed, 
art artists like from camping all the time, all the time, and yeah, even yeah, using using a proper kitchen, a well well equipped kitchen, yeah, all this stuff. I liked this hostel idea so much. Being back in in Germany, I, I first started to study, but always in in my mind having this idea of why is there not no hostel in Berlin? And I figured out that there've been two very small hostels at this time, but that that it was and some non-commercial also like YHA, YMCA, but nothing I I met during my travels. And then I had this decision or this wish, I had this wish to, to found one hostel at Berlin. The idea was not found a chain like it is today, but to start with one hostel. And yeah, as always, the, the idea sounds easier than to make it happen. Mm. By random, I found then my uh, business partner and that was a guy from construction sector so he, he was able to yeah, oversee this constructions you need in a building you have to do and to rent the building for long term and fit it out, et cetera, and to do all this stuff and even, even to help me with the investment. And that was the beginning of A&O. Yeah, we started then in, in Berlin Friedrichshain, um, a student district in, in Berlin and started with 164 beds in 2000. Yeah, and what happened since? Because it's been a really interesting journey. Those almost twenty years, two decades, more than two decades now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Twenty three years now, and so we um, it worked quite well. So we had no idea about what we are doing, despite from what we saw, what are the guest needs. Yeah, so because I had just this guest focus on 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 of my entire hostel experience was that I used it as a guest, as a consumer never run a hostel before. And then it was learning by doing, and it was a perfect time. Berlin was a perfect environment in 2000. It was booming. Everyone in the world was interested to come to Berlin, the reunification of the post East and West Germanys before the government moved to Berlin. Berlin was really the new capital of Germany. And so spot on Berlin, that was my luck. And so the demand was such amazing that, that People knocked on our doors and especially two operators, for example, asked, could we have more beds, please? Yeah. And it's, yeah, let's see what we can do. And this, that driven by this success and this amazing demand at this time, yeah, that made us brave enough to say, okay, let's already expand this business very quick. Yeah. And already in 2001, we doubled the amount of beds. Yeah. We've been in, in a big building with a lot of space to grow. And uh, yeah, then the next steps to 2005, first, first asset outside Berlin, and, and that was Prague. Um, and and um, then year by year, we added two or three more, more hostels, and this grows the chain to where we are now. We are, this, we are now in nine countries in with uh, 38 assets and roughly 30,000 30, beds. You are the, you 100% run anything, everything around because hotels and was always an interesting thing. I, the asset owner and the concept owner, but it seems like you're both as from what you're saying, or do you lease in some of the places? We, we do both. We get to both. In the very beginning, of course, we had to lease because we didn't have the money to buy the buildings. Lucky wise, later we could bought the, and acquire the, our origin A&O from Berlin Design, still existing. So the mother of our, a, of our hostels, but in the very beginning, because of no track record and even that most bankers didn't know anything about hostels. Yeah. They, they asked, what does it mean? Yeah. What is the difference to a hotel and, and, and uh, why should we, should, should we lend some money or yeah. So first nine years, we've been just tenants. And then it started that first banks started to believe in, in, into us, into the hostel idea in general, and started to finance, and that enabled us to acquire buildings as well. So today it's half, yeah, half of the properties and we lease our house. Super, super interesting way to develop. And I think that most businesses, you always have to borrow capacity in some kind of way. If you lease it or borrow it to get off the ground, and then you take control of your destiny as you can on that journey right. as you go forward. So, so what is the mission then? Because you've already grown quite well. I, I would say that I've never heard about you before you reached out and we had this first conversation. Thought this is really interesting. It's a, I know this way of traveling myself, but I did the similar like you. I, after my initial years and I thought I'm going to go travel the world and lived in hostels in the U S Australia, New Zealand, Asia. So I know that the model as well, and it's very good if you want to discover the world 
and you're in a place in a short time and you want to connect with people and actually get the best advice of where you to go. But what is the mission now as you, because I guess since 2000, there's oh. the hostel market is booming. I guess there's a lot of hostels around. I can see it when I go back to my home country, Denmark, come to Copenhagen. Hostel was not really a thing when I was younger. There, there was maybe one. There's like you similar situation as Berlin. And now today there's many and they all have different services and different price levels and all that. So, so what is the mission for you now in its expansion or it's being good at what you do? And yeah, that you, you are, you are right. And like you described in Copenhagen, same in Berlin, for example, now it's full of different models of, let's say more boutique hostels or bigger ones like, like us and, or, or just yeah, fancy design hostels yeah, or any taste you have offers. So our biggest mission is really is, is it, or the overall general mission is to create a affordable stay, affordable accommodation in expensive environments, what means urban environments. When I travel in this time as my friend, we, we traveled around the world. We always choose the most dangerous areas at the best price. So, and so my decision here was let's create a safe in a safe and in a good environment, yeah, let's create a safe, but always affordable offer. That was really, and it's still number one of what drives us. Yeah. So it has to be affordable and our aim is for example, not to upgrade our product to more luxury, et cetera, that it becomes maybe unaffordable for some customers and a new focus. We also hopefully will sp later speak more about this is now even to create an product what, what you can use without any environmental consciousness. Yeah. So that in an ideal world, a net zero emission product, yeah, where mm. we will do, but that I would add to our mission today and important really always what, whatever drives us is not to create too much hurdles, not by price. Yeah. But even no, no hurdles by design, for example, you could even create this places there too posh, too fancy for people. Yeah. And so really to keep it open for everyone. So in principle, that's also what sets you apart for many other hostels, I guess, is that it's that minimal viable product you almost expect from a hostel. It's not a boutique experience. It's a safe place. It's clean. It works. It does the job. Exactly. Reliable. You know what you get yeah? and it's standardized over over all places and yeah no let's say no at least no bad surprises it could be good surprises of course but in general we say no, no surprises yeah if you know a you know you know what you get yeah. and have you seen that sticking to those guns as as you said the market has really evolved there's got much more luxury on there's maybe been more money to spend have you seen that that's been the right strategy as well for you as you hold on to that strategy and said this is where we come from this is what we believe in. Does that work or did you have to adapt? Of course, what, what I like to impress is that we, we, we listen to the demands of our customers and try to fulfill this, but we never try to, to, to be a boutique of full service stop, so to say. And as you can imagine or could imagine in, in 23 years, demand changed. Yeah. And when we started back to the 2000, we had one, one single room with this private bathroom. Yeah. Today it's the totally opposite. We don't have any common bathrooms anymore. Yeah. So mm. still running the four bedded, six bedded, eight bedded dorms, but all have, for example, private facilities because that's, I would say that's a standard today. Yeah. And so this, this change today, of course, it's super important, for example, to have super, super fast Wi-Fi, well, well, Wi-Fi coverage over the entire place, a power plug in arm lengths away. Yeah. So everywhere. So that's, for example, really big needs. What changed or what's right now changing, for example, we rolled out 10 years ago, we rolled out TVs in our homes. Been very proud to say now US TVs. That's something we're stopping right now because nobody needs a TV anymore. Yeah. Everyone has his own device. And so as, as long as you have good Wi-Fi, everything fine. Yeah. So. Of course, we're looking what are the needs of our guests, of our customers, and then to check if this is really a deeper need, a longer need, and then if we believe it, we try to provide it, to roll it out, to offer it to our clients, but yeah, not doing super fancy stuff. Yeah. 
what what is the most important like you know, from an operational point of view you took out of the the pandemic because i'm going to imagine the pandemic also was like a huge challenge for you when it first hit and i know you you told me that the story for it may be good to hear that i guess that there was no one in your hotels or in your hostel sorry not a hotel but hostels or suddenly nobody arriving because yeah. we all been told to to stay put stay at home yeah that was really that was one of my yeah it was the most worst business experience i had in my life yes at this time and even uh, our, our colleagues it was a hard time for everyone in hospitality and so from one second to the other from one minute to the other full stop yeah and not only the concerns about your job and your investment and all this stuff, but even this feeling that nobody needs you anymore. Yeah, for one one second to the other, yeah, no need for your services, for your work, etc. So that that been um, a, a lot of fears, so to say, in this time. And after this moment of shock, we, we tried to make the best out of the situation. Yeah, and lucky wise, we had we operating in, in Central European countries, and in all these countries, we had more or less good support from the government for employees. That was, uh, I really like to highlight this because I know, for example, in the US, et cetera, other systems. So that was one big concern, so to say, was taken away from us that the government said, we have these furlough programs and we take care for the income of your employees. But on the other hand, yeah, to sit at home and waiting for the day that hopefully someone calls you and allows you you can go back to your operation. That was not our style. And so we sort of, we sat together, thought about what could we do with our 30,000 beds? Yeah. So maybe there's some, someone could need this beds. And what we started then step by step is speaking with municipalities and we opened our beds to social distress people, to refugees, to homeless. And so cities started then to occupy our, our houses, the hostels with these social distress people. And for us, it was such important because for, yeah, we had a reason because what we like to do, yeah, we could serve people with breakfast, we could serve people uh, yeah, during the day with questions and answers. And uh, so every, everything what we like to do we could restart a little bit, yeah, on the lower level, of course, it was not that every house was in use and, but it helped us even to keep skills in the company, yeah, and not to lose with the employees you're losing, you're losing even all the skills, yeah, and all the experience. And so looking back, so to say, back today, I would say the biggest advantage was to see a product could be flexible if you think a moment about it and allowed to think uh, across borders so, and over your mind. So we found, it took a while, but we found an alternative use for our places. Yeah. That yeah, what, what strengthens us and, and helped us to even today to believe more in the future and say, well, whenever something happened, yeah, we can even solve it a little bit alone. We don't just have to sit at home and wait for, for help, so support from government, etc. We used the time, by the way, even for, we created so many e-learning tutorials, yeah, videos, etc. for every task you could do, because we had this feeling when we will be allowed to restart, we will not have enough stuff in this moment. Yeah. And it's mm. happened after COVID, yeah. So we had guests bounced back massively and stuff was away, yeah. And so everywhere in hospitality. So, and we tried to prepare our, ourselves in the best manner to resist up. And my personal learning out of, of COVID, the biggest aha moment I had personally was this when we've been asked stay home, that people really from one second to the other, they all stayed home. Yeah, so they did stay home and that was something like, I would describe it today as a travel shame. Yeah. And I thought, see, the entire society from one, even from one minute to the other, between weeks, yeah, could de develop something like travel shame. Yeah. And I would say 99% of people stayed home yeah, and, and developed this travel shame. What would this mean to the business if something other create travel shape? Yeah. And what would happen if this comes from environmental consciousness, from environmental concerns? And that was one momentum where we said, we have to change something, how we produce everything, our services, yeah, how we create our product. Because we know 
since many years, we all know and we're speaking about this, as you said in the intro, yeah, the, the, there are people speaking about, yeah, my, my footprint, blah, 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 but is it really happening? And yes, it is really happening. Other people uh, have more and more concerns and even this is something, it's not only price anymore, where I like to go, yeah, is it affordable, is it safe? It's even people take care about their footprint. Yeah. And, and we, as a provider and travel, we decided for us, we need emission free, net, at least net zero emission free accommodation offer. And we need it as quick as possible. And for us, the decision was made during COVID that we do this by 2025. So, and this is really great. And that's very ambitious as well, I would say, when you see many commitments, they are 2030 or 2035. And so, so what are you doing then to make it eco-friendly? Because I guess you need power on, need water, you need to use paper, there's cleaning, so on. But, but what is it, the initiative you're doing and how are you approaching this? Because I guess it's like a phased approach. Yeah. to do that across so many different u different units in different countries to to achieve that goal. Yeah. And we are not the professionals in this, yeah. So our we are professionals in hosting guests, yeah, but not in, in at first it starts really you have to learn a lot, yeah, and, and quick. And our big advantage was on the one hand that when we listen to our employees, we have so many employees they are studying these topics. Yeah, they are they are very smart in these topics. And, and uh, so on the one hand, we did something in parallel. On the one hand, we started really to create and collect an action list of what we could do. Yeah. And this list was, I would say 99% filled and provided by our employees. Yeah. From their daily work, from their daily view, they told us, for example, let's avoid these small packages, packaging disposables. Yeah. Let's quit with the marmalade or the honey or whatever that could all come in big dispensers in, instead of small ones. Yeah. To say, to give one example for, yeah. Why we are not buying renewable from renewable sources, energy, yeah, electricity, for example, you can easily do change heating to district heating in, in, in the cities where, where it's available and where you can do it and small items. Large items, skip plastic all away, or wherever we use it. We had two toothbrush cups from plastic in all rooms, for example. That's something we just skipped and said there's no need anymore. Yeah, and so many small items, and in in parallel, we hired experts in this field, and for two things: first, to evaluate and let us know what is our footprint. Yeah, how much is it? It's five kilo, 50 kilo, 500 kilograms per overnight. Yeah, we did not have any clue, any idea. Yeah. And so they told us when we started with this mission, we had nine kilogram CO2 emission per overnight. And uh, we brought this down now this year to three kilogram almost by, mm. by own efforts. Yeah. With all these small efforts and a lot more to go with. Now it's more about the supply chain. Yeah. For example, there's, there are no tropical fruits available at AO anymore. Yeah. So. Instead of a banana, you can have an apple. Yeah. Some things we could do easier than a five-star hotel, yeah, where you probably would complain if you don't get your strawberries or banana, but at an hostel, you can say, no, see, you get a seasonal product or local product. That's it. And so we learned and understood what we could do. We, our decision was really first to take up every stone, turn it by 180 degrees, put it back. And when this mission is done, what's hopefully next year, we will have a value of maybe two and a half kilogram CO2 emission, but there will be a remaining base. We can't avoid because we are in the city center. We have to buy products. We have to call the laundry truck to, to wash our laundry and linen and all this stuff. But we can try to do everything a little bit smarter. And with the rest, then we will offset with uh, mandatory so that we don't ask our customers voluntarily to do it. So we will include it into our rates, into the price and offsets and mandatory with this golden standard projects so that we already know that's, that's proved and, and audited and well used. How have these uh, great initiatives been perceived by your staff, but also by your customer? It seems like the staff has definitely been very involved in advising on the small changes that quickly could be done. It is, and it's either what we see, what is a real, really positive effect. It's either, it triggers a lot of new applications. And so we're getting, we're getting now really new employees with this background saying, yeah, we hear from friends, et cetera, that 
that this company is really honestly, seriously going behind this, yeah, and, and following this role to, to operate net zero, et cetera. And that's our purpose, like to work for this company. Yeah. So on this hand, it's already a win. Yeah. What we can see it's quite often when we com compete about all the, the same talents, yeah, that, that we could easily catch some talents because of this topic. And for our guests, it's, um, it's, we have, I would split this in, into two big guest segments. We have on the one end, we have all the groups. And if I speak about groups, I mean, student groups traveling from Monday to Friday for school trip to Berlin or Hamburg or Copenhagen or Venice or, or wherever. And these school groups, they are really asking even for the footprint and because the parents are asking or the teacher is asking, or it's already enough if two or three students, parents are saying during the teacher's parents conference, if, when they check the office, yeah, but what's about our footprint? Yeah. And for example, we know the scandic groups today, they are already not allowed to fly anymore to a school trip. Yeah. So, and so there is a lot of, of consciousness about footprint behavior, especially on a school trip. So. Here, it's a big advantage already. For the individual travelers, it's a bit more difficult to, to monitor this because, of course, we don't ask our guests, yeah, did you choose now, hey, you know, because of our climate actions, because of price or whatever. And, but we know from, for example, there's, there was a very impressive booking.com survey from 2021. And this survey said 20 to 25% of the Gen Z are already not entering any more plane because of climate consciousness. So, mm. and if you then translate this to hospitality and say, if this 20%, that's just takes the, the lower uh, number, yeah, 20% of our target group, the Gen Z is deciding tomorrow not to travel anymore, not even not to use an hostel or hotel or whatever because of uh, footprint, then we would have on the long run, we would have a big problem. Yeah. And I think it's super interesting again, because I think people will still travel, but it will be without maybe the airplane and then they'd be very conscious about how they stay. And as I said in the beginning as well, that's funny enough also what I hear. And, and then of course you start thinking yourself about those things. Is it actually need? Can we actually go with the train or could we actually cut the travel down in the holiday period. So we only travel a little bit of the holiday and we actually stay closer to home as well. The whole staycation kind of uh, philosophy. So sustainability is really important, but also you have this strong presence across multiple cities in Europe. You have quite, it becomes complex operation as I call it. And as soon as you move out of, you have one and then that's operationally. And then you could number two becomes a bit more difficult. Number three, it's very difficult. Four, yeah. you can do, you can manage again, and then you have the whole journey up with complexity. How do you do that across so many cities and cultures? And because that's really, how do you scale that? Because in principle, you're scaling culture more than you're opening buildings. Yeah, that's a good question. And of course, that's probably not the only one answer. Yeah, it's a daily challenge. And if what is really helpful, our headquarter here, Bern, Bern is a quite international city, and, and our headquarter. We have about 150 persons here. They yeah. are so international. Yeah, that, that's first good thing. So it's, it's not that here are just Germans and have their German glasses on and try to bring this German perspective to all the other places. So we are really multi, multicultural, very international here in our teams. By the way, even as one learning after COVID to find the right talents to fill all the vacancies, we decided in the company to not to have German as a mandatory language anymore. Yeah, so that, mm. that's, help, that's helping as well. Yeah, so with, with this, say with this, you're, you're getting much more talents, yeah, in, especially in a place like Berlin. Yeah, and so this is helping that we try to organize as much as we can centralize and sort of take workload away as much as we can from, from the single operations. And, and the teams in the single operations on the ground, we allow on, and, and we, we, we even try to trigger a, a lot of, of, work exchange. We have a lot of what we call vocation from work and rotation so that, that we ask our employees why you're not spending two, uh, two months from Venice instead of working in Venice, two months in Budapest. Yeah. And the people from Prague going to Munich or whatever. So mm. is this vocation that, that helps even yeah, to, 
to get this exchange and they bring the ideas from their uh, views from their operation to another operation, etc. And then of course we have the crew of trainers and supervisors traveling always around and helping and if you, for example, even if you are struggling in one place because maybe you have two less personnel or whatever you, then even you can ask the, the, the trainers or task force to, to jump in and stabilize the operation and help them. And I guess as you grow the business, this is really the challenge as well. And that's why you made some decisions about no mandatory language. I guess it's the, the speaking language is English then it becomes then because that what most people communicate in. Uh, and I think it's really interesting. You talked about that. You actually ask people to travel from destination to destination. And because I guess that could be quite an attractive, especially when you're younger and you don't have a family to be able to do that in principle both you know there's work there and also there's probably a place to stay i guess at the same time yeah yeah and even it's it i'm really excited always when i speak to to employees and ask yeah since when you are working here in this place yeah and then they almost saying me oh i'm here since two weeks but i was two months in salzburg and then four months before i was in edinburgh and then i was three months in Budapest. yeah so that's that they really use it. So it's, yeah, it's, and as you say, it's for the young people, it's interesting. It's a good opportunity, yeah, to earn some money, even to combine it with your travels. And that's a good fit. And to stay within the company. And uh, yeah. that that knowledge and experience will not be lost as quick as it normally would with a frontline employee that would yeah. say, yeah. No, yeah. now I have to move on or I've now been here enough. I'm going to go and do another thing. Yeah. I'm going to quit my job. But actually yeah. it keeps yeah. them. I think that's really, really smart. What is, uh, what is your top priorities in the coming years then as the world of travel evolves? And I guess this summer is the big summer for many, definitely here in Europe, you can hear this is like last year was big, but I think this year is where everybody's out again because yeah. the fear yeah. of the pandemic is behind us. Pandemic is behind us. Exactly. <clears throat> we saw a lot of pent up demand. I think still we see strong demand in Overall places, we have, even we are a little bit settled now by these amazing cost increases we had after pandemic. Yeah, and, and that, that was that was even a big challenge for us the last months to cover this and find answers, even to save energy. That was this big winter topic in Central Europe. Yeah, because we had these concerns that that energy is maybe that, that we run out of energy. So yeah, now our focus is with all the learnings out of. Or, and, and knowing, for example, that we will have shortage of talents in the future that will be not better, yeah, or not easier because of the demographic. And uh, even the, the cost side pressure, yeah, the inflation, it's probably we saw the peak of inflation, but there's inflation is back. It will not disappear from today to tomorrow. And so to find answers like this and not forgetting to like really to have an affordable offer here in the market every day. We look much to automation, yeah. So, so what, whatever came, we can automate, automate, and where we can, yeah, bring in, let's say, like like a self checking kiosk, what we all know from from McDonald's or Burger King, yeah, these kiosk stations for self check in, the self check in on your mobile device as another opportunity. That's something front of house, for example, back of house. We have now cleaning robots, first first twenty cleaning robots at, at A&O, running the, all the hallways, yeah, and hoovering and cleaning the hallways, yeah, brings us automation here, and so many other tech stuff that we can hopefully in the future scale the business, but with less people needed, yeah. We even we try to shorten waiting times in the peak travel seasons because we all know that's annoying if you yeah, you wait an hour to check in at the security, we wait another hour and you, yeah. So then you wait maybe another hour at, at the hotel check-in or reception. So that's why it's important to, to invest in this automation and makes this journey easier. The same as we, we just rolled out a digi digital order for your bar snacks and bar beverages. Yeah. That you can order this on your mobile, pay on your mobile, just pick up at the, at the uh, bar desk when needed. Many things like this and the environmental story, of course, yeah, the sustainability story. That's another big topic, but I would say this both fields are the fields for the next short-term future. 
Yeah, it's really interesting how you see technology becomes really important in the optimization because you you say you're going to have less hands, so those hands has to do the job that really add value to the experience, I guess, through all your hostels. And I think like and you mentioned McDonald's, McDonald's probably is one of the food service definitely operate on the forefront and I spent a long time my own career in McDonald's and we were already starting there 10 years ago at that point we didn't see where it is today that's what's going to happen in principle yeah. where actually the customer in 98% of the situation are plucking in their own order yeah. we thought it would be about 40-50% and but that again have released labor and now when you have a staffing crisis filling that front line with 10 people to serve customers would probably have been challenges for McDonald's and they would probably have lost a lot of customers because it just took too long to serve them. So I think again, shows how technology can be used at really optimizing that. What, what is like, if you take the industry as whole, what is like the pressing issue that's on your mind as a CEO that if that just could go away, life as a founder, CEO of a hospitality, travel, hotel business, like hostel would just be easier. I, yeah. It brings me back to the to to the footprint story and the sustainability story. But if we have solutions, even with without environmental consciousness, to to travel, so that's all about the carriers. If you see the airfares are much higher now than before pandemic, and I think that's over. That we can fly for nineteen euros from Barcelona to Milan, and what's even maybe not the most worst thing, yeah, the most worst message because that. They, is there really a need yeah, to fly for 20 euros uh, just for party, let's say, across over Europe? But we have to f we have, we have even to find answers that you can travel maybe for 50 or 100 euros still. And I think planes or the planes today, like they like they are flying and you consuming oil and fuel or traditional fuel, that's not the right answer. I'm a bit worried about the railways and in, in in Europe. Yeah, so. I would really like to see that the governments and the societies invest massively in the railway network, yeah? that uh, we have proper in-time railways, trains, with, yeah, and what you like to use, yeah, where you maybe you could say it's, it's fine to sleep with a family on a train during overnight yeah, and going from Munich to Venice overnight and have yeah, even this affordable because it's not a cheap solution today. Yeah? So what, what we see in the market is everything becomes much more expensive. Yeah. So it's not only the airfares, it's ferries and trade tickets are even quite expensive. So I think here we really need a solution because to say people just, yeah, then just travel 50 kilometers away from your home, that can't be the answer. Yeah. Or travel less. Yeah. So I think this, this is important for the entire hospitality. Yeah, and it's funny enough you mean the, the railway system. I think it's really, I live in the UK where there has been strikes, but also the condition of the railway infrastructure and it's heavily privatized, which also means that not really invested in just taking profits out of is, is my view. And I think most people, and the strikes and the disruption that's been the last 12 months over here has had a huge impact on the hospitality industry. Huge, huge, huge. That's people that didn't travel for business or holiday that was canceled mean that people didn't buy things on their go and also means that when you start thinking about planning a holiday you're not thinking about taking the probably the less impact full travel vehicle which probably is train because oh i can't i can't manage yeah. that taking my family on that and ending up with being stuck somewhere and they can't travel on because if we looked at train as well this year and it just the cost of it just didn't add up compared to taking a plane, which was yeah. like, I was quite surprised that it was double the price of taking a plane, which I just can't get my head around. So that must be fees that's taking up somewhere where it doesn't really cover a cost. It's just a fee. Yeah. What has been on the journey, especially the last couple of years, as we come out of pandemic, as a business owner, we go a bit out of the market and your business, but like, what is yours as CEO founder? What is your, your top learning been? in all of this because you have must have to go through a lot of change as well yourself i know that for yeah. myself and my own businesses so yeah biggest learning maybe from the yeah from the last years is one your employees are, are a big source of knowledge and even they are so powerful to 
if you communicate in the right way and you listen to them and you all agree about the same purpose for this moment, the needs of the company for, for, for them, and then you can be, you can hit everything, yeah, beat everything. And so you can be so such powerful and develop really great things. That's, I would say that's the most powerful learning. On the other hand, what I even learned the last years is even if things look very worse, very bad. It, it comes not so bad as you think. Yeah? Quite often I thought that's now the end of what, yeah, what I created in the last 20 years or build up. Yeah? And it was the same last summer with the energy prices. Orchid Sky here in, in Germany, especially in Austria. Yeah? And we had, we, had, we had 10, 20 times higher prices in gas or heating costs, electricity, etc. And we said, it's now, we just survived pandemic and then the next hit. Yeah. And then we've said, we can't survive it. And, and some of my mentors, yeah, older businessmen said, Oliver, if this would stick for months, nobody could survive. Relax, it will not happen. Yeah, that, that this stays now for the next two years or three years, et cetera. And so, yeah, but it is what, what you do. Relax. Yeah, so sometimes you believe in it comes not as, as horrible as it sometimes seems. So breathe and relax for a second, but yeah, yeah stay careful and dynamic. Yeah. So, so always about answers and yeah. And, and yeah, don't, that's maybe even part of the ANO DNA, not complain so much about the circumstances because we all had so many new circumstances for us, what we couldn't control, break it down to this part you can control. Yeah. So how often, for example, everyone, for example, has the same problem with finding enough talents. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's the same for everyone. And we will not have to say, oh, what should I do? I can't. No, think about how could you find someone or how, or even how could you automate the process or whatever. Yeah. But, but look for the solution. Yeah. And, and same was with this operational ban, no tourists allowed. Okay. No tourists allowed. Yeah. Maybe who is allowed? Yeah. Look for the solution. So, and then there's not always a solution. Yeah. And I wouldn't say there are circumstances that really can kill the company, but yeah. With a bit of luck and with the right team, yes, it's all about your partners, your team, of course, and you can solve many things. This is quite interesting. It's a very stoic answer. So I'm very into stoic philosophy and somebody produced this mock to me here. It says hospitality mavericks. And then yes. on the back, it says exactly what you said from Seneca that says we, we suffer from what are we imagine more, more than yeah. reality is. And I think that's typical what happens because you're so in it, but it's going to be so bad, blah, 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 blah. And it's not going to happen. And you lovely said the whole thing with control, what you can control, you're not control. And that's what the Stoics is about as well. And people yeah. are listening to the show now. So I'm really into that and really got into that in the pandemic as well and reading, rereading a lot of the Stoic stuff. And now it's like a daily practice because like it's patient as well. A lot of yeah. business is about patience, and that's what I've learned in my last decade that actually lots of it's the patient. It's not about how fast you can run. It's actually about how you consistently can continue where all other gives up. So it's the marathon abilities. So yeah, it was really interesting what you said there, Oliver, about that we suffer more in, in our mind than reality actually is. How do you actually, that leads very nicely to, to the next one. How do you then, because you need to make hard decisions as business owners. And I've asked a lot of people recently that have been on the show here, especially CEOs and founders, how do you get to these decisions? Because you had to do a lot of them in the pandemic, but still as many hard decisions to come because challenges are not over. They will keep on coming one, one black swan after the other. I normally yeah. say, so, so, so how do you make hard decisions? Yeah, I try, if I'm aware, I really have to do it and can't avoid it. Then it's better to do it quicker, faster than slower, because then it's done and then you can already start to deal, to sort on the hold and deal with the consequences. But yeah, hard decisions, of course, I try to reflect and first to, to speak with, yeah, what I say, mentors also, yeah, to exchange my view. And sometimes even you find a solution what, uh, to get another view of before you do really this decision, that's helpful. But sometimes, yeah, even after this second or third view, you got about your first mind and first decision, you have to do it. And then, yeah, sleep one night about it and then just do it. Yeah, that's, and by the way, for example, do I'm just looking here to, on, on, on my 
desk that that was exactly what I didn't do in COVID when I had every day I, I had to on the one hand I had to motivate people yeah and not tell them how I'm feeling really as that I I had made more fears and but I had to give the feeling I'm so optimistic and and on the other hand I had every day I had to call suppliers our all our landlords, et cetera, and ask for deferrals and help, yeah, or reductions and all this. And at this time, I have four kids, yeah, I put the images, pictures here of my four kids in front of me, yeah, and they are still here. <laughs> and that was my motivation, yeah, so to, to, to look to the kids and say, you know, see, that's why I'm doing it, yeah, and that's, I go home and know there's, there's a, they're good vibes, yeah. And yeah. And also, like Henry, reminding yourself of the purpose and worst comes to worst, they're still there. Exactly. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I love that. So, so, so how do we actually also then, you talked about you have to be the one that brings the optimism, being the positive, especially in the pandemic, but also, I guess now that's the job, the CEO and founder, I often call it, is not chief executive officer, is often chief energy officer, because like how you show up determines about how the whole organization often works as an energy thing in every organization. And it takes a lot of energy to be the one people turn to, which is the job of founder, CEO. So, so, so how do you get that the energy to show up every day and do your best and how do you do it? Like, because like, what is your tricks? Do you have any tricks or it's just genetic in you? Um, so what I try to do is, is to balance out and really, for example, when I have time for my kids, for example, really have quality time and deep time with them. And that's, that's, that's slowing my batteries, for example. Yeah, it's to doing something really different as well. And I'm a passionate runner as well. Yeah, so that's when, whenever I have something to think about and can't find a solution, for example, I, I go and run as long as I, I, I have a solution in my head. Yeah, and that, that works quite good. Yeah, so. First, think about nothing, and, and then you can solve it better. And but again, it's even about team. So I'm never alone. Yeah. So we have we have so many people here, and even the, so the management team. That's such helpful. Yeah. To you, sometimes not every day you have the same good day as everyone. Yeah. And then you just speak left, next to or left or right with you guys, and then you're back on track. Great, great. Love that. I love that the, the running bit is also my thing, which reminded me I had to go to run today, actually. So it's yeah. a good thing you said that because that is for me as well, where and I don't run with, often I don't run with my phone because nobody can call me. So it's just me and the nature and that's where everything settles. That's the silence. That's exactly like you know, what I'm doing. I have just my watch. Yeah. And yeah, my wife is always complaining why you are not taking your mobile if something happened, if you go to the forest, etc. That's now I have a watch with 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 a with a assistance signal. So so because I say I don't like I am running away from all these messages on from my mobile. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't exactly. Take you need the silence to to get your brain together. I know the broadband is really what we need in the day. Of, of age we live in where we get so many yep. instant messages so we're running out of time Oliver this is super interesting conversation but there's one question I would like to ask you before we, we finish off is that what would your top advice be for other business leaders that is building their businesses as a force for good one that you know is profitable but also make positive impact on people society and the planet wow yeah that's a difficult question yeah. so I think first of all yeah, but Believe in what you are doing, yeah, and don't, sometimes it's really important, don't take care so much about what people are telling you when they are not your clients and not, listen always to your clients, of course, yes, it's very important, yeah, and even listen to your employees, but there are so many other people telling you all the time what you should do and should do different, and they, but they do totally different stuff, yeah, I'm not hanging in the same tower like you hanging, yeah, and going all in because as an entrepreneur or leader, you have much more risk to take, yeah, and patience as well, yeah, so that's what I would say. I love that, I love that, I love that, especially because we can get so sometimes hang up on other people's opinion or we compare ourselves with others. Yeah. And that's not really helpful. I have a mentor myself. You mentioned you have a mentor. He is, I have to be careful what I say about Chris. I think he's 74 now, really 
experienced business person as well. And like he says, focusing on your next step, not what the others are doing all the time. Doesn't matter. No. Don't compare yourself. Learn what they've done, no. what strategies they have applied, but mm. don't compare yourself because you're on a different journey. And that's very helpful to have somebody saying that's, again, a very stoic commandment yeah. that you don't spend time on comparing yourself with others. Be strict with yourself and patient with others. Very true, yeah. And as as a leader or founder or whatever, you, your biggest enemy always in the end is time. That's the biggest yeah. enemy you have. Yeah. Yeah, it's not money. It's time. I it's totally time. agree. Yep. Yeah, totally agree. That's a really interesting conversation as well. Many people say it's the money thing they're scared of. Actually, it's the time. You're going to run is. out of time. Yeah. That's always time to market, time to have enough time to talk with those employees, all that thing. So protect exactly. your time and start creating what I call a stop doing list. I talk a lot about that because then you will stop doing all the things that really doesn't really yeah. fuel your journey ahead. So thank you so much, Oliver, for coming on the show. It's been a really great conversation. Where should people go if they want to learn more about the hostel group, NO, and maybe connect with you if they want to ask you questions? Where's the best places? So our website is hostels.com and yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Great, great. We'll put that in the show notes as well for people to find. Thank you so much, Oliver. I send you power and energy and to the team as well for the time ahead. It seems like you're on a really interesting journey and we'll stay in touch. Thank you so much, Mike. It was really a great pleasure to be here. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate or give a review or subscribe to one of our channels. Which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading the right books is the key to become a better leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the best books to improve yourself, others and the organization. Find them on hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their socials at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly at podcast at BizSimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer from the podcast Collective. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick!